All right, it's time for another session of the Boulder Bolding with Alec Tsukatus. And today we're going to continue our discussion of public banking. Uh, we left off last time with discussing a little bit the criticisms of public banking, and we decided, hey, let's devote another whole session to that. So that's what we're going to do today. And I'm sure we'll discover a lot of things as we go along. So welcome back, Alec. Well, thank you, Keith. And uh, why don't we just dive right into it, address the, um, the objections to public banking. And I'm going to direct the uh, objections for Colorado, because they're specific to Colorado, as well as more general. Okay, and also because... You just came back from uh, a whole day of Zoom meetings with public officials discussing public banking in Colorado, so it's yes. hot on your, your brain, so yeah. dive in. All right. I'll list the objections and also our responses to them. Okay. So a state public bank is unconstitutional. All right. Now, are you, are you going to just state all of them and then? No, I think I might uh, answer answer each one okay. separately. All right. So our response to that is that the Office of Legislative Legal Services of the Colorado Legislature concluded a state bank is quote probably close of quote constitutional and thus would not violate Colorado Constitution. So when lawyers and legal services people say probably, it's not that they're not forceful, it's just legal language, which implies that if anybody would uh, object to that, then it's a very, very high bar to transcend before you can show that it is indeed unconstitutional. So it's uh, virtually impossible to meet that. Then the second one is a state public bank is not authorized under Colorado statutes. The Office of Legislative Legal Services concluded that state legislation could authorize a state bank. So it, be, it is legal, essentially. The third one is the state does not have sufficient funds to start such a bank. This was actually in one of the meetings, not today, but in two weeks ago, uh, 10 days ago, was suggested by the treasurer that Colorado in particular has not put any money aside. And so therefore, we couldn't really access any monies to speak of. And that is altogether uh, incorrect. We have... Uh, made a list of resources that are available to produce a public bank, to f finance a public bank. So those are um, uh, several ones of those, and they're all very much available uh, for starting a public bank. Then, a state public bank is too risky. In other words... Okay, uh, now are we going to come back to 
that uh, any of these uh, so like what are the funds my understanding is that they essentially put yes, tax could, tax can, money in no 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 that's to start a bank to fund a bank okay not when the bank exists then they would have oh, the, I see. deposits okay. there okay. so here is a list of uh, of the ones that we've put together as to where we can get the funds. Any any bank that is created, just like any business, needs to have funds to fund it to begin with. Okay. So move existing deposits from major banks to the state bank. In other words, you know, what we now put into private banks, we could put in a state bank. Okay. Commit investment pools to the state bank. In uh, Colorado, as in other states, there are funds that are circulating funds. They're not a bank. They just have an institution that lends out monies. And then when those monies are paid back with interest, then they can lend those same funds out again. Okay. So we can have those funds put into a public bank. And the advantage of putting in a public bank is that the bank, on the basis of these funds, can lend a considerable amount more than that, up to 10 times. All right. Use 3 to 5% of para funds to buy revenue bonds for the bank. Again, these are technical things that we have compiled uh, and, and by and large are available definitely. And the question is how to exactly do it. But, you know, and why 3 to 5%? Because that reduces the risk to para in case something goes wrong. But, so we've looked at where para has put funds you know, that are either too risky in our estimation, or are deleterious to um, to the people of Colorado, like fossil fuels. They okay, might be so investing in fossil fuels. that's another advantage of public banking yes. is that uh, pension funds can be more secure. And put into things that Coloradans need rather than Okay. You know, fossil fuels. Because politicians are always wanting to grab pension funds, but they usually rob them. Yeah, but that's why we say only 3 to 5%, so we don't raise any right. uh, alarms about that. So in this case, the pension funds can be used to actually invest in public projects. The public good. Yes. The public and good. Can, we'll and make, also... I'll in, give you a list of what we've compiled anyway as and to where al- those funds can go. And also earn interest. Now, there's another one which is very recent. That is to say, the Fed uh, has always had a discount window where banks can borrow money. But in this case, they've reduced the interest rate to 0.25%, so a quarter of a percent. And the reason for doing that is they would encourage banks to borrow money and then be able to lend that money at a much lower interest rate than they would otherwise. But here's the rub, and that is that we know for sure, this is not an if, issue is that in a recession, all private banks reduce their lending. 
rather than increase their lending. Only public banks increase their lending in a downturn in the economy. The reason being that the private banks are interested in maximizing profit. And so if the economy is doing badly, they don't have an incentive to loan out more funds. Where a public, whereas a public bank is oriented towards the common good, increasing the loans when the economy is not doing well is, uh, is part of the public function, if you will. Okay. So I want to just interrupt here and just, uh, are we talking about, or you talking about with uh, state officials, a state public bank or... Or a city or a municipal public bank. Yes. Now we've uh, changed. In other words, earlier on, up until COVID-19, we were oriented towards city banks. The reason being is that we thought we would get less resistance from various interests that do not want to have a public bank. We made a conscious decision to go in that direction. With COVID-19 and with a deficit in Colorado being $3 billion for this year, let alone God only knows for next year, because it can actually accelerate, we decided that that is an emergency, and therefore it would be good to include a, a, a state bank rather than only city banks. So, okay, so there are other other sources as well, but they're very particular and they're very individual. the The general um, idea here is that the funds exist. Then the fifth objection is government cannot run a bank efficiently or ethically. This is the general objection about government not being able to do anything yes, properly. correct. Yeah. The answer to that question was as follows for us. Bad governments cannot run things efficiently or ethically. That is to say, a, a government is bad... On what grounds, when we say that a government is bad? One is that it is inefficient. It wastes its capacities. The other one is that it's very, very efficient, but nasty. That is to say, it makes a great deal of money or um, achieves certain goals very, very well, but those goals are not very good. This is the case not only with governments, but it's also the case with individuals and also the case with corporations. There are corporations that are bad in, in two senses of the word. They're bad in terms of the effects they have on the economy and people's lives, like redlining or uh, investing in fossil fuels, etc. But they're also uh, pretty incompetent. Well, and then we, I, I, as soon as you said that, I thought of Wells Fargo and it's like, I don't think banks can have anything to say about running things ethically. <laughs> ethically, but also, but also um, uh, not really very efficiently. 
Well, they do run it efficiently for stockholders and for those, you know, investors who want profits, but yeah. not necessarily for yeah, but the But I'm, I'm going further and saying that, that they can also be bureaucratic, just like any big entity can be bureaucratic if they're not careful. Exactly, and so, hence so the, the yeah. ridiculous uh, CEO uh, salaries being forked out as, as how somehow that's efficient. Yes. What we uh, propose is to have a public bank that is run both efficiently and ethically. And the way that we do that is they're efficient because they are run uh, not by politicians, by the way. They are run by professional bankers. We hire professional bankers to do this, uh, this work. And secondly, they would be ethical because, on the one hand, we have a board that is used to see to it that the loans are for the public good rather than for the private good. And we also have a charter. And we also have it transparent, which is not the case with private banks. You really don't know, except when... There are people who investigate where the monies are going, to finding out. But we're planning to have a public bank that is open to public scrutiny, if you will. And how would that look? Well, one is with respect to the charter, you know, that we, and secondly, with this board who, that uh, will be able to discriminate as to where the monies are loaned. And that's their function. Now, who would elect the board? We're open to suggestions about that. And this is something that we really are inviting people to also give us ideas and not just depend on us to have ideas. We go for the principles and for uh, answering criticism. But, you know, that would be uh, something to uh, have people give us ideas about how to, how to do it. Yeah. Then another one is uh, the bank will not be profitable. It's a close ally to uh, not run efficiently or ethically. Okay, so is that another objection? Yes. Is part of that also that it would just lose money? Yes. And our response to that is the Bank of North Dakota has achieved an average return on equity of 20%. This is a very, very high rate of return in the past 19 years. In contrast, the rate of profit of private banks is somewhere between 6 and 8%. So the idea that the bank will not be profitable is utter nonsense. We've shown that the only public bank of the United States was run for 101 years has been consistently profitable. And we can also maybe contrast that to the uh, inability of super large banks here in America who consistently have to be bailed out. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's in the trillions. Yes. That, uh, or like uh, since 2008, that, yes. you know, quantitative easing, uh, terrible amounts of 
money has been going to just simply rescue the banks who are how efficient is that i mean <laughs> yes uh, and how ethical for that matter exactly you know, that you're using funds uh, public funds and then you are uh, losing them yes yeah so this is part and parcel of the uh, criticism number four uh, when we said the state bank is uh, too risky. And the response, again, is that the Bank of North Dakota has lasted 101 years without any bailout. No private bank, large or small, can make such a claim. Okay, So that's a very, very important piece. Because in my estimation, uh, my estimation of many people, is that private banks have really made bets oh, yeah, it, that, that sure. <laughs> if their investments, which are mostly speculative rather than productive, go well, then they'll make a great deal of money very quickly. So it's something that they're very eager to do. And then if for some reason they go bad, then they can be bailed out. <laughs> Uh, exactly. And they really do plan on being that's bailed right. out. It's a bet. It's a yes. bet. Well, that's it's a pretty good bet. You know, if you go up to the casinos yes, and you go, whoops, I just lost $20,000. But uh, hey, when I go, uh, they'll just say, oh, here, we'll yes. cover that. Whoops. You shouldn't because, have bet that much. Because the threat is very real. Namely, if you don't bail us out, the financial system of the United States to go on, is going to go under. Yes. And that in itself is disastrous, but it will also bring down the financial system of the world, which is even worse. Yes. And finally, the other criticism that we've met is that the Tabor Amendment would render the bank ineffective. In other words the Tabor Amendment would not allow for a bank to to be created. And our response is... Um, we, might, uh, we might want to just mention what Tabor is, uh, just in case we have people outside of Colorado who are not familiar with that amendment. Well, that is uh, an amendment that was passed many years ago uh, to the Constitution that says that um, certain uh, tax... A revenue must be paid back to the taxpayers if they're not used according if to certain criteria. If there's a sur criteria. surplus, yes, if there's and a so surplus. So the idea would be that uh, if we had a public bank, then the monies that are made by the public bank cannot remain in the hands of the public bank and therefore would have to be paid back, and so it would uh, incapacitate such a bank. Okay, that and seems like a pretty good uh, yeah. objection. Yeah. yeah. So, chair of Rocky Mountain Public Banking Institute, who is a lawyer, Earl Stalen, has uh, discovered a way around that because within the legislation and within the amendment is the possibility of having a Tabor Enterprise. And the Tabor Enterprise uh, need not follow this rule because it is independent of the Tabor Amendment. And is that in the amendment? The yes, Tabor in the Enterprise? amendment itself. That's right. The, the notion of a uh, 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 Tabor Amendment. 
making it exempt from table limits on income and expenses and from the prohibition on multi-year borrowing. Making a, a exempt the enterprise, table enterprise, making it exempt from table limits on income and expenses and from the prohibition on multi-year borrowing. It is safe from the objection that it's not going to it's not going to work because of Tabor. This is specifically only for Colorado. There you are. This is uh, very, uh, and it's over the years that we've collected these various criticisms. So we couldn't really answer them on the spot. But we go back and do uh, all of the work that is required in order to find uh, a solution or several solutions for that matter. And we encourage people who have objections to tell us about them. Say, for example, well, if that objection is answered, then, uh, then we would be in favor of a public bank. The thing that we haven't yet accomplished is to be able to distinguish who opposes public banks out of principle rather than uh, because there are arguments against it. And so, because uh, it doesn't fit into their ideological. That's right. Yes. And, or whatever other objection, but certainly ideological. And then we wouldn't waste time attempting to convince them otherwise. When we know that is genuine, or we feel that is genuine, then uh, we research it and come up with answers. Right. Now, I want to bring up an objection uh, not specific to Colorado, but to public. I read this when a Los Angeles was looking into public banking, and they uh, looked to Germany, who does have a lot of public banking and has been doing public. Yes. And the objection comes from that there's too many public banks, and they start competing for funds and capital to run the banks, and that this has created a certain financial problem in Germany. Do you have any thoughts or are aware of that? I, I'm, I've never heard of that argument that there are too many. Um, you know, I've heard of the argument that they would compete with private banks. And uh, that, uh, in, according to the critics, is not a good thing. And uh, we have uh, two answers to that. One answer is that they would not compete uh, with community banks. There's small banks all, all over the state as well as in other states. And there we would collaborate with the uh, community. The public bank would collaborate with the community bank in this way, that community banks are uh, much better at knowing their customers more intimately than one uh, public bank. We would depend on the public banks to give us information about their customers the weakness of a community bank is that they don't have sufficient funds, whereas the bank would have sufficient funds. So it's a collaborative effort. We provide it with the uh, with the funds, but we can be uh, rest uh, can rest assured that they have uh, the means and the connections with their customers 
to make uh, safe uh, loans. As to having uh, too many, uh, the thing that we know is that uh, public banks in Germany have contributed greatly to the expansion of uh, new energy sources outside of uh, fossil fuels. And, that, and, and Germany, the biggest economy in Europe, is far ahead of just about anybody in the world in that respect. So. In the respect of having public banking pretty locked in. Uh, but also uh, going away from fossil fuels into alternative fuels financed by public banks. Okay. So I don't see them uh, being too many. And yes. if there are too many, then we decide not to have as many. Here we're talking about one bank, for goodness sake, <laughs> yeah. or four or five banks in uh, right. in Colorado. Exactly. There isn't a danger of having too many. Yes. <laughs> now, public banking really does contribute to the age-old question. It's not age-old, but it comes up in America all the time about who's going to pay. We love to have our little political corners and saying, well, who's going to pay for this or that social service? And yes. and so public banking goes a far way in saying how this is going to pay be paid for without just asking for more and more taxes. That's right. Without asking for uh, taxes or any extra taxes for that matter. And secondly, without taking from one part of the budget to pay for another part of the budget. So right. let's say you have a deficit, then you can say, well, uh, we certainly need to have the same amount paid to the police, for example. Uh, and so therefore, since we uh, have a deficit, we'll take some from education and put it in, in police. So it's two uh, negatives that the public bank can, uh, can attend to. Yes, I think that's very, very important. So I want to uh, bring up a, an article, very recent article, uh, mm -hmm. found on Michael Hudson's website, and it's called Banking as a Public Utility, and it's with Ellen Brown. And Ellen Brown is a pretty significant name in this discussion. She's uh, an attorney and the chair of the Public Banking Institute. We mentioned that in our last podcast. She's an author of 13 books, and uh, including Web of Debt, The Public Bank Solution, and Banking on the People, Democratizing Money in the Digital Age. So that's an interesting term right there, that public banking is about democratizing the whole financial system. And this is what Michael Hudson and uh, Ellen Brown talked about in this article. It's also a podcast. You can listen to it. The interesting thing is Ellen Brand is, Brown has been an advocate for public banking. So has Michael Hudson. But Michael Hudson's really key theme is about debt. debt. And he published a book called Forgive Them Their Debts, which is from the Lord's Prayer and really is a ac more accurate translation than trespasses or sins. It's really referring to debts. So that's his big thing is, is debts. So what's interesting about their discussion, especially Michael uh, Hudson, really focuses on the problem 
of who's going to pay for things. And we've really been hoodwinked as Americans as to who pays for things, who benefits from who pays. And he really basically says that we have been in a debt crisis really since the end of World War II, and it's just gotten bigger and bigger. Um, The neoliberal response beginning in the 1980s with Ronald Reagan and Thatcher really changed economics. And what Michael Hudson says is really changed capitalism away from industrial capitalism, where you have what he likes to call is the real economy of production and consumption, even though he's con- he considers himself a, a socialist. He still thinks that this industrial capitalism of the original economists of the 19th century is really what was in mind. And it's now transferred to a financial capitalism. That's right. And he says basically what collapsed in 2008 was the financial system collapsed, not the economy. But it brought down the economy with it. Yes, yes. That's the thing. And so he really calls for basically needs to be a, a collapse of the financial system. So he he says this, the basic issue is, who is the economy going to run for? Is it going to be run for the banks and Wall Street or Main Street? The economy has painted itself into a corner and can't even pay interest. And that's that's really, really true. I um, I recently read an article out of Washington Post that one in six businesses are what they call zombie companies. That means that the money they borrow, they can't even pay the interest from their profits. Uh, What's interesting about this, and I'm just kind of turning this back around to why public banks, it really is addressing a serious uh, malignancy in economies. I mean, that we, we don't quite realize the extent in which all of us are just servants of interest now. Anything you want to say to that, Alec? Yeah, I think that uh, this is exactly right. There is a reconsideration of this whole issue about who's to benefit from an economy. Who does an economy serve? Is it the American people or the common good or a certain portion of the population that's very rich and very powerful and uh, who gets the benefits of any uh, endeavor of the economy. So, for example, in the last uh, two or three months when businesses uh, have uh, gone out of business, some of them never to return, with the increase in unemployment, uh, with uh, therefore people not having enough money to pay for food, let alone for rent or mortgages, etc. There have been people that have gained from the suffering of others. So that's what all these writers are about, is to invert that uh, exactly. uh, mechanism, if you And that's will. one thing they mention in the articles, yes. like... Uh, 
Black Rock, I believe is the name of the company. You know, some of these big in investment companies are just waiting for for foreclosures to happen. It's like yeah, they can buy them cheaply. Good, goody yeah, bargain yeah, basement so, uh, yes. assets. <laughs> As with real estate in 2008. Yes, 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 yes. quite so. So, so that's uh, the idea. And the issue about who's going to pay or even more radically undermining the whole project, and that is uh, uh, we can't afford it. This was the principal response of Vice President uh, Biden to any uh, proposition by Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. This was his stock response, is we cannot afford it. Public banking? No, no, we can't afford to have oh. education for all. We can't oh, afford okay. to yes. have health okay. for all, etc. And that is an utter misunderstanding of what it means not to be able to afford. And that misunderstanding comes from associating individuals and companies with the government. That is to say, individuals can say we can't afford to both have a holiday for the four of us in uh, Hawaii and also buy another car and also feed the, right. the family, etc. Right. We don't have enough money to provide for that. And a corporation can't say, well, we can pay executives a uh, million dollars a year and also pay employees a living wage. And also make sure that our stockholders always get a profit. That's right. It can't be done because there are limited resources in the sense it's accurate to say we don't, we can't afford it because we don't have the money. Because for individuals and for businesses, money has to be earned. Right. To providing services yes. and providing output. However, and this is the great insight that is coming to the fore, that notion does not hold for the sovereign government. Not the state government, but the sovereign government. That is to say, the government of the United States or the government of Canada. Right. It's a sovereign government in the sense that it has a currency that is created by the government, can be created by the government, and the government has the capacity to create as much money as it wants to. Just like banks do now. Just like banks, ex nihilo, out <laughs> yes. of nothing. All right? So, which is not the case with individuals and is not the case with corporations and was not the case with uh, with states so that means that there is a limiting fact limiting amount of how, what you can do but that is not based on how much money you have as a government it's based on whether there are available resources whether the labor resources, whether the knowledge resources, whether machinery and capital resources, and whether there are natural resources that are available, that's the limiting factor. Right, right. You know, that's the limiting factor. So this idea that we can't afford it is 
turns out to be nonsense. Yes. Not just a little bit false, you know, or something we can argue about. It is just not so. Yes. And this is the great insight, I think, that uh, we now have at our disposal. Well, this uh, is something uh, Michael Hudson is arguing, actually, in reverse. It's like we cannot not yes, <laughs> afford Yes, we can't this. afford not to do it. Yes. Whenever, whenever somebody says the cost is too high to do something, our response should be, what is the cost of not doing something? Right. And um, Michael uh, Hudson uh, basically in this statement talks about, really, the game's up. Uh, yes. For for and we're not coming to that realization. We need to come to that realization. We're not. Listen to his statement. So the Federal Reserve is the official Ponzi scheme that keeps finance capitalism operating in the United States. Obviously, at some point, every exponential growth scheme, and this brings us back to steady state. You know, you can't yes. you can't have constant growth all, yes, all right. the time. It's got to end at some point. Every exponential growth scheme has to stop because otherwise you'd have an infinite amount of debt. So at a certain point, the Fed will sit down with main Wall Street firms and the main billionaires that are behind these firms and say, well, you know, the game is over. We've got to let it go. These investors will say, okay, we'll take the money and run. That's what a lot are already doing. Mm -hmm. We're going to buy gold. We're going to buy real estate in New Zealand. So we have somewhere else to run to when the economy collapses. They're just going to drop everything, sell out, and there will be a crash with the pension funds and the small savers who aren't in on the game losing whatever they have. So Yes, that's why I uh, have come to the reluctant conclusion that there is a a possibility that uh, we're going for common suicide. In the past, up to maybe 1950s, you could do some things that are to your benefit as a rich person or powerful person, even at the expense of the environment or other people. It's cruel, but you could still do it. It's understandable if you're attached to uh, having your power and your money increase, even if that means that other people will suffer, then it's possible to do. But what is so puzzling to me is that now it's impossible. It's impossible anymore to create pollution only for other people, only for the victims of your action, and not have it reverberate back to you in the either yourself or your spouse or your family or your children or your grandchildren. It's not possible anymore. It's not possible to flee, in other words. You can flee maybe to, uh, as you say, New Zealand or some island or buy an island, etc., etc., but the pollution is going to get you. The violence, the, the suffering is going to, in one way, uh, uh, come to haunt you. So this is why I say that the only explanation that I can come by, and it's a temporary one, is that if I, the notion, if I can't have it all, I'll bring it all down, including myself. And that is 
Well, you know, I, think, I think we are seeing a kind of death yes, wish yes, uh, among I think, uh, I think political so. extremes I think so. in our uh, country. If I can't have it my way, yes. I'll bring the whole thing down. Yes. And that's uh, an extraordinary moment in human history because in all other dictatorships, in all other violent uh, experiments, if you will, the experiment can fail and others can recover like with the Nazis or with Stalin or with any, uh, or with Pol Pot or with the Vietnam War or what have you. There are people that not only survive but thrive. So, But I don't believe that it's possible for all of us to be involved in that anymore. Right. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard Alec give a sermon <laughs> yes. on why... Steady state economics is basically the argument right there. It's in like, favor. Of, yes, yes, we yes. we just we've run out of real estate. Yeah, <laughs> we've run out of uh, resources and all those kinds of things. Here is again one of the steps towards the steady state economics is there has to be as Michael Hudson says in his article that we're not about a um, a destruction of the financial. System where uh, I'm advocating for a restructuring, a restructuring that prioritizes different kinds of things, public good. Yes, uh, that's right. Another way of saying the same thing is the following, that always in the past, the financial system was considered to be a servant of the economy. It serviced the economy provided the funds with which the economy can use in order to develop. Now, uh, it's turned, the financial system has overgrown and is a master of the economy. And so this is the fundamental thing that has crept up on us. And I want to emphasize this this notion that has come over me, and that is, uh, especially in the last two or three weeks, is that we're complicit with allowing this state of affairs to come about. We, we're not innocent. It might not be that we are nasty. It might not be that we're uh, cruel. It might not be that we are uh, undemocratic. But we've allowed these kinds of forces to take over yes. and to become dominant. And it's I as would, if we were asleep, uh, Keith, well, for I'm, 40 years, 50 years, or partially asleep, or even awake but not knowing how to respond, let's say. I would be in that last category. Yes. I'm still yeah. in that last category. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, it's not I mean, to make honestly, us feel I guilty. Think it's I, to make us feel responsible. I think right? a lot of people simply don't understand the economy. That's they right. d- they don't That's understand right. what's going on. They're, they're operating off of what Michael Hudson calls industrial capitalism. You know, you have production, you're involved in production, and you have consumption. And yes. we have this exchange of goods and services and those kinds of things, and we just don't understand that what's what's overlaid the whole thing is a financial ca- capitalism, which is basically... A parasite on the economy and just and is like a cancer, like a virus 
that just that's right. leeches that's right. itself onto the life of a body and s- sucks life out of it. And and uh, that is also suicidal for the virus because if you kill somebody, yeah. you, you know uh, that you're feeding on, then you'll die yourself. Yes. No, no. This is uh, this is uh, very uh, waking up to the situation that we find ourselves. And you know the the economic departments and the universities, the places where we expected to have new knowledge and. Uh, and undermining of falsehoods and what have you, they haven't really done their work. Much of, and I've told you this personally, much of what I now have come to know, I didn't get from a BA and an MA and a PhD in economics in good schools. I I didn't. I got it outside of those environments. Yeah. You know, which is tragic. Right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to end my part with uh, just one more quote from Michael Hudson and sure. then then you can respond how you want. So, he, he Michael Hudson was asked, well, you know, what's the solution to uh, unpayable debts, which yes. is what's upon us now, and he's he says, well, you're going to have to let the big banks fail and take them over and that's just the natural course of things. And of course, uh, you know, all of us who want to espouse free market, well, there's your free market. You can't just keep in having people bail you out when you're failing. And so he ends with this. The fact is that banking should be a public utility. Privatizing banking has not really helped the economy because it makes loans basically against collateral. When you make loans against collateral, the house, real estate, corporate stocks and bonds, the effect of banking, bank lending is to increase the price of this collateral. You end up with a high-priced economy. Boy, is that not true. High housing prices, high retirement income prices, high insurance prices, and you can't have a viable public banking system built on the wreckage of the commercial banking system that has almost committed suicide as you have described you're not going to be able to go forward the solution is bound to scare people government to quote take over big banks but again he says so the problem isn't simply a debt write down it's to restructure the financial system to make it into a public utility instead of a private monopoly yes i would add if i could that I would prefer, as a public utility, it means essentially that is independent of uh, corporations like big banks, but also independent of government because they can be corrupt and they can be um, selfish and what have you. So I would rather put it in the hands, as we have argued for public banks, in the in the hands of people who are uh, outside of the political arena and outside of the corporate arena, they are in the commons. I've been thinking quite a bit about this third element of self-governance other than, you know, corporations and uh, and, uh, government. I think that that's very valuable now to see what form it can take. 
Right. Because people are suspicious of both corporations and of government as well, because they've had the experience of nasty corporations and nasty governments as well. Well, maybe we can restore a notion uh, that I grew up on, um, that of public servants. <laughs> yes, quite so. <laughs> Which is what politicians are supposed to be. They're supposed to be public servants. Yes, but if they're not, again, I'm not in favor of blaming anymore. I'm saying, what are what are the alternatives? What am I in favor of? Right. I'm in favor of this third sector. Right. If you will. And that's what I like about you, Alec. You you uh, drag me out of my my uh, downward spir- spirals. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with a lot of people, like the passing of John Lewis, yes. there's always people who um, say, "Keep hoping. We can we can do this. We can get better." Of course, my one of my driving forces is the Lord's Prayer, where yeah. Jesus instructs us that we should pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. earth. So that's what always drives me and what yes. drives my theological outlook and why we're doing this and why I write and all kinds of things. It's, um, yes. yeah, thy yeah. kingdom come on thy earth. Thy kingdom come, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All right, so we're going to r- wrap it up and uh, we'll we'll come again with another session in the near future. Thank you. That's great. Thank you very much.